Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Justin Hart, who's an executive consultant with more than 25 years of experience with Fortune 500 companies and presidential campaigns. He's also chief data analyst and founder of rationalground.com, which helps companies, public officials, and even parents gauge the impact of COVID-19 across the country. He's worked with everyone from Governor Ron DeSantis to Dr. Scott Atlas. He's a father to eight and the author of the just published Gone Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane. Welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Justin. Oh, great to be with you today. Now, yeah, your book is sort of a post-mortem on, on COVID-1984, as I, I like to call it. It's a short book, but it covers a lot of points, and we won't get to them all, but perhaps some of the key issues. You've said that the virus uh, of the mind is more damaging than the virus itself. So, you know, where do we begin to unpack the mind virus of the past two plus years, which is still ongoing? Well, you know, you, you could go back to the 17th century Milan, where they had a, a plague that was a, a very, very real pandemic where the fatality rate was one out of every three people. Uh, we know this from a, a, a 19th century novel called The Betrothed uh, by uh, Alessandro Manzoni. And uh, what he did is went back and researched actual journals from uh, people that lived in that era during a time of plague. This is kind of where you get that phrase, love in a time of plague, right? And and he went through and followed a couple that was uh, trying to get married, uh, but having a heck of a time in the middle of the chaos. But what was interesting is a lot of the same patterns we experienced here in 2020, 2021, and 2022 were seen almost 400 years ago, the chaos and everything that would ensue. And Manzoni had that line, which was uh, the fear of the mind gripped the people more than the pandemic itself. Uh, at one point, he recounts uh, an episode where it was feared that people from outside of the town were spreading the disease by whitewashing the walls or anointing the benches in plague-ridden waters. And uh, he recounts a, a journal entry where a older gentleman is in a pew at church. He stands up and brushes off his pew, and someone at the back thought he was doing something else. He yells out, he's anointing the pew, he's washing the pew, and immediately a group of people thrust upon him, took him outside, and the author concludes, I do not think he could have survived much longer. Think about the altercations we've seen on planes, in schools, at school boards, wherever else you have you, and it really did, as the title of the book says, drive people insane. A message from our sponsors. It seems we may be headed for the 1930s all over again. Financial collapse, tyranny, and world war. I've already secured multiple passports, offshore accounts, safe havens, and escaped to the sunnier shores of Mexico. My friend Michael Thorup of the Expat Money Show is hosting the Expat Money Summit with 30-plus experts that'll help you reclaim freedom in this fourth turning by moving your life and wealth offshore. Protect yourself and secure a new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com or don't and enjoy surviving on insect protein while stuck in the metaverse. Since 2020, Ron Unz of Unz.com has argued the COVID outbreak was due to a U.S. biowarfare attack against China and Iran. Jeffrey Sachs, the Russian Ministry of Defense, and others are now making similar suggestions. Weeks before COVID appeared in Wuhan, a top U.S. biowarfare official ran the Crimson Contagion exercise on how to protect America against infection if a dangerous virus suddenly appeared in China. After COVID appeared in Wuhan, it jumped to Iran, infecting Iranian leadership only weeks after America had assassinated Iran's military commander. 
Iran publicly accused America of an illegal biowarfare attack and filed a complaint with the UN. Ron Unz has produced a free ebook and is available for interviews to further discuss this issue. And don't forget to fund geopolitics and empire. You can leave a donation, except on Patreon or PayPal, which have banned us, book a consultation, or become a member. Even just this morning, I was getting a message from a friend in Mexico City uh, saying he, he was almost getting into, into an uh, altercation regarding the mask uh, requirement on <laughs> the plane. Um, and so, uh, again, your, your book covers a lot of issues. And maybe just to highlight uh, a, a few of them that we've all been experiencing over the past few years, you know, one that comes to mind is social distancing, which I think is an oxymoron. And I, I'm still hearing recordings. I don't know where I was. I've been traveling in an airport or some institution somewhere recently, and they're still playing these. They've got the signs still up talking about social distancing. And it's I think to distance is actually antisocial. So it should be called antisocial dis distancing. You know, just for, uh, using that as an example, what's the science on antisocial distancing? Yeah, it, well, there really is no science. The The premise came about because uh, someone in the Bush administration, that is uh, George H.W. Bush or, or George W. Bush, uh, had the idea when they were putting together the pandemic response book, uh, their 14-year-old kid was apparently uh, in a, a science fair and had proposed this idea that somehow if you had distance between people, it would limit the spread. And so all the six foot uh, lines went up. Uh, I was in Best Buy just yesterday and I was in line and all of a sudden I lifted my foot and it was kind of sticky and I didn't understand what was going on. And I looked down at the carpet edge, this small bleached circle, realizing they had just removed the stickers <laughs> for the six foot distancing there. We all know now, uh, based on the evidence that we have, that the virus is an aerosolized uh, piece and that it really had no bearing on it. Uh, the six foot number, the three foot number, none of these, these were just kind of plucked from the air. And again, most of these interventions were primarily tools for our health overlords or our politicos uh, to make some excuse as to how they could we're doing something about the pandemic. So when it came to masks, for example, a, a congressman or a governor could get up there and say, our cases are going down. Thank you for masking. Or when cases were going up, they could then turn and blame the crowd. Why aren't you wearing a mask? Cases are going up. There's no evidence whatsoever anywhere in the world that mask mandates uh, made any difference in the ups and downs of the caseloads. Yeah, and just the the social distancing. The first time I came across it was in early 2020 when I was trying to escape Kazakhstan, my former home, and it was at the Amsterdam airport, and they had the little signs everywhere, and you felt like you were Super Mario in the video game. Uh, and the, you know, the only thing that I could think of at that moment was screaming out was you know social credit system, like you know in, in, in China, and I was like I, I don't I'm not gonna I was going in the opposite direction where you know they were telling you to go, and I'm not I'm not I'm not playing along. And yeah, that was my next question: the masks, and there still seemed to be a few. Uh, holdouts, you know, I've encountered um, masks still on some airlines, some airports, and uh, the people enforcing it, you know, whether it's the 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 airline staff or or you know security at the airports, they seem like robot drones or, or lemmings. Uh, I mean, in some big box stores in some parts of Mexico, I've heard still enforce them, like uh, maybe Costco or Sam's in Mexico City, especially. But um, these the people just literally repeat, "Put on your mask, sir." Put on your mask, <laughs> right? mask. Like there's no way of rationally rationalizing with them. But it seems like even they um, are just 
more afraid of just it's, it's their job. They don't even really care about the mask. They want to keep uh, their job. And, you know, any further thoughts on uh, on the masks? I think even a child would know it's it doesn't make sense. Um, it, it gets filthy really quickly. It obstructs your uh, airflow and, and so forth. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we went, we go through a lot of examples. Um, everyone has a personal experience with a mask. Uh, I know my own 14 year old daughter at a very robust private classical Christian school built on the pillars of logic and rhetoric and reason. And she's sitting there at lunch and the lunch attendant says, uh, be sure to sit sideways on your bench because we don't want you facing your fellow students as if COVID only goes in one direction. We seem to lost a lot of sanity there. I have a, a picture of a priest um, performing his ritual duty, baptizing an infant at a distance, fully masked, and he's doing so with a squirt gun. Uh, I mean, it, it, it became a kind of a game, but also a bit of virtue signaling. You'll notice the, the one bastion that is still very much masked and uh, sort of headed up uh, on these pharmaceutical non-pharmaceutical interventions as we call them the npis uh they they basically are the college and university campuses right now and, and it's a curious thing because a generation ago in the late 60s where my parents were uh, you stuck it to the man if they came in and told you you were going to do something at university you told them to shove off but now the tables have turned because i think what happens is for these kids that are in their 20s the risk of cancellation is far greater than just complying, right? The risk of ostracization, and not just from some bullied crowd that you happen to run into, but someone takes a picture of you and now it's shown to a billion people. And now uh, you know you're you lose your job, friends, and family over some type of direction because the Overton window closed on sanity. So those are the things that we talk about in the book, how uh, both virtue signaling and also it became this this mechanism that people can use. But we go through Rational Ground. The group that I founded was one of the few groups that actually uh, worked with a group of moms out of Florida. And we took about a dozen of their kids' masks that they wore for maybe just like 24 hours. And we sent them to a lab. We want to know what was on those, right? So the lab came back and said, we found traces of pneumonia, traces of Lyme disease. We even found cow herpes, right? Transferred from meat usage and eating and everything else. I mean, anyone who looked at their kid's mask would know it was atrocious. My kids, uh, I have two younger ones, were in preschool. And there was an episode where the uh, state licensing crew would come down hard and issue infringements that would only be given for major serious injuries that a school might obtain and slap them on this private uh, you know, institution, this this preschool, but because it has so much onus over the state, California owns it. And and so the, the state licensed people came to the director and she asked them point blank, you guys are in early education. You know what this does to kids. And they don't they said, I don't care. We have to do it. It's the rule. Right. No one was thinking about that. Our teacher pulled us aside and said, I am so sorry uh, for whatever you know experience you're going to have with your two and three year olds, because try teaching your kid how to pronounce the letter H through a mask. It's impossible. And it's really damaging, as we've seen from the test scores, the development of, of small children right now. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky my kid pretty much survived without wearing a, a mask, maybe once or twice. And so mm. it's not been normalized. But um, you touch uh, upon it in your book. You you say that uh, this ha has caused permanent damage uh, to children. Could you, you know, talk a bit more about that? 
Sure. I mean, these are developmental years that they have as far as socialization. We already have the evidence, for example, that lockdowns and school quarantines and um, school closures had dramatic impact. The typical rate that you would see of obesity year over year, which is always increasing, it went up threefold for our kids. Um, I mean, you think about the key, what we call comorbidities with uh, COVID, that is mostly age, but also obesity and a lack of vitamin D. So whose idea was it among our health overlords to stick us in our house for six months eating takeout out of the sun, right? It makes no sense whatsoever. But the damage to the kids is also educationally. Right now, we're having a big fight here in California uh, with the superintendent of uh, curriculum, who also uh, has the keys to all the tests that have been taken. We know those numbers are drastic. Uh, in most school settings that we're seeing, uh, the, the the number of failing grades is up by 300%. Uh, the testing scores that we have nationally for nine-year-olds, uh, sorry, for, for ninth graders, uh, are are basically back to where they were a decade ago. We've lost all momentum on this. And then you look at you know particular schools where uh, you have underserved communities like in Los Angeles and a lot of minorities there. A third of all the students in Los Angeles County never showed up for a single Zoom class, either because they felt like they could skip it or they didn't have the means to sit their kid down and put them in front of a computer and make sure that they were logged on. What kind of devastation does that reap? Well, we actually know that number. Uh, sociologists have done these calculations. And for every uh, person, you know, for every percentage of uh, graduation that goes down, right, from high school or from grade school, whatever else there, you can basically lob off tens of thousands of dollars of earnings and even their lifespan. So these are things that um, I think sociologists will be studying for years in a very, very disheartening way. Yeah, I can speak from experience. The first year I was teaching, uh, still here from Mexico, teaching online remotely to my place of previous employment, uh, the Nazarbayev Intellectual School in uh, Kazakhstan through uh, Zoom or it was the Microsoft program. I forget its name now. And you see blank screens. You don't know what the kids are doing. It seems like most of them aren't even paying attention. Just a horrible um, experience in terms of you know quality of education. And you know, before I continue, maybe what are some uh, some of the other key points or issues for you that stand out? Um, you know, with, with this COVID uh, insanity. Well, one of the key ones, and and again, the the book is set up basically myth busting, right? We we take the the key myths and we talk about how the assumptions were made on this and how they were completely wrong. One of the key ones, and I think we started the book off with this, is what we've now known with all these great new uh, words we've adapted to our vocabulary, asymptomatic, right? The asymptomatic spread of the disease was thought to be the major driver of the spread of COVID. That is to say, you had COVID, you had no symptoms, you didn't know it, and you were spreading it extraordinarily far and wide. Well, even Dr. Fauci admitted before the pandemic, and he lost his mind for some reason as to epidemiology 101, but I'm told that that's just not the case. He has self-admitted that asymptomatic spread is never the primary driver. And from the three or four studies that we've seen out there, it's difficult to study these things, but they account that no more than 1% of all the spread was through asymptomatic, that is people who uh, didn't have any symptoms whatsoever. Uh, and, and what that did is it caused a cascade of terrible decisions. 
Why are you masking up? Well, the mask wasn't meant initially to protect yourself. It was meant to protect other people because you didn't know you were sick. You were spreading it. Why did we have plexiglass? Well, you didn't know who was sick in front of you. It could be spreading it. Why did we have school closures and quarantines? Well, uh, they weren't showing any symptoms, but they were exposed to someone who did. And so, therefore, you have to take it out, right? So, these uh, that that one decision, the one decision that seems to be primarily driven by Dr. Burks was that asymptomatic spread was the primary driver of this thing. Because initially, they thought, well... We know that these respiratory diseases only spread by spittle or by small droplets that come out of the mouth, right? They didn't believe in aerosolization, that is, that the small, minute, not even visible to the eye are the things that spread it from these symptomatic people. And so they just assumed that people were spitting all over each other? I'm not sure. And so that one decision led to the six-foot distancing, the plexiglass, uh, the closures, the lockdowns, everything altogether. I'll never forget the look on Governor Cuomo's face when he was giving, uh, after a, a couple weeks of shutdown, the report. And uh, he was, they did, you know, these these contact tracings where they would say, hey, okay, you're sick. Where did you get it from? And he said 66% of new cases said they got it at home. Imagine that, right? You, you got it from the people that you were locked out. He's, he turned back to the screen to look and make sure he was thinking straight. He says, that's that's surprising. Well, it wasn't surprising to any of us who thought that the lockdowns were a, a dreadful mechanism to keep this thing at bay because you just, you know, you might as well put forth your your arm to st- stop the Mississippi River as you would to stop a viral respiratory pathogen. There really is no evidence that any of these MPIs had any effect. There are multiple studies to that to that notion that uh, they're really the they they were drastically overstated as far as their impact. It's funny you brought up uh, asymptomatic. That was actually one, my next question. One of the items I pulled from your uh, book uh, as well, and maybe like uh, the numbers too. You you go into that, and that's also been been a huge concern. Like they've just been fudging with the numbers. The governments, uh, hospitals, they've been getting money, uh, you know, tens of thousands per patient to declare them either you know sick or dead from from uh, COVID. And you know what what's um. What, what would you say that COVID truly qualifies as a pandemic or or, or not? And, and, you know, what about this, the, the fudging of the, the numbers? I think it does qualify as a pandemic because it was a novel virus. But we know that the impact, even from the early onset in March, we knew these numbers that uh, the average age of death was 80 years old compared to the 1918 pandemic, where the average age of death was 29. I honestly can't say what my reaction would be if this novel pathogen was somehow killing millennials left and right, including some of my own kids who would be that age and younger. Uh, I think we we all would have you know lost our minds very quickly because it would have been very visibly evident. But instead, we had to rely on the dashboards. And I remember writing an article in March of 2020 saying the coronavirus dashboards will kill us all long before the virus ever will, because these these data points they aggregate in such a way that it's very difficult. Now, being in a democratic republic here in the United States with uh, the distributed states and county authorities, um, it made it very difficult to collect good data. Uh, the the upside is you have all these experimental things, and whether it's a municipal hospital or religious hospital or a city hospital or a county or a state hospital or a VA hospital, we have all these different hospitals who collect data in all sorts of different ways. And then that data has to roll up to the county, to the coroner, to the county, and then to the state. And then finally, it hits your dashboard. So I remember in April, there was one weekend on a Monday where 
all of the stats came in because the people at the county took the weekend off. So Monday they start tallying it and everyone was freaking out because 200 people died over the weekend. Well, that wasn't the case. It was 200 deaths over the course of several weeks, only they just started gathering in at that point, right? Because the data sort of gathered there, it lags. But then on top of that, when you drill down into the actual data, we found some really interesting things. I think we were one of the only groups, especially early on, that had access or was able to gain access to uh, death certificates. And this was in Florida, thanks to Governor DeSantis. Members of our team were there on site, and they were given access to about 700 death certificates that were redacted of personal information. But we had how they died. And we found that at least 30% of these things should never have been coded as COVID. A 86-year-old woman dying from a fall from a ladder, broken femur. Uh, she was already diabetic, but she also happened to test positive for COVID. And, and uh, you mentioned the hospitals. Um, my kindest interpretation is this. The government shut down the most profitable part of these these businesses, these hospitals, uh, the elective procedures, right? And, and so here you are. Uh, basically, if you drew the bottom line as to how you might survive as a hospital, you're going out of business. So my kindest interpretation is that any hospital administrator worth their salt would try to find ways to get reimbursement from uh, the government, which means that they tested every single person. And these PCR tests, these main tests that we use with the nasal swabs before all the home tests came out, those were primarily designed... Um, they they pick they could pick up a virus as even Dr. Walensky admitted at the end of last year. Finally, that they would pick up a virus at five days or seventy five days. Uh, when they got embarrassed, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Walensky, because uh, the huge Omicron wave, which was ten times the number of cases that you would see from the first Alpha or Delta. They were hugely embarrassed because obviously the vaccine didn't stop this disease or this variant. And then also on top of that, they had to find excuses. And one of the excuses they had was, well, these are incidental infections. Well, I have news for you. Most of the infections that uh, we saw throughout the, the, the pandemic were incidental infections. Even the New York Times had to admit to this. And this was in September 2020. They had a headline that ran, uh, you uh, tested positive for COVID. Maybe it shouldn't be positive. And they went through the huge errors that you have with these range of PCR tests. And what a nightmare we had to endure. Uh, if uh, I remember my own daughter, uh, she was going to a school play. And uh, because uh, someone tested positive for COVID in the cast, this was at the end of 2021 when school quarantines were basically just an ex a, a, it was school closures in disguise. Uh, so many kids had to stay home for weeks and upon weeks. And we were told, well, the reason she has to stay home is she's not vaccinated. And we said, well, what about the kids that are vaccinated? Oh, they can go to school. Well, who got sick? Well, he was vaccinated, right? I mean, it, it the logic just belies any sort of reason. And it um, it destroyed a lot of the trust that we have in our health institutions. And uh, to touch on the, um, I'm going to use coded language here. This goes out to different platforms, but I'm still trying to, while, while I'm still on YouTube, I still try to reach people who, right. for some some reason, listen to the podcast on YouTube. But, you know, the, the things being uh, injected into uh, people, you, you touch on that and how you cite Edward, Ed Dowd, who uh, worked in uh, Wall Street, and he's been very forthcoming with some of his views. But, um, you know, the, you, you mentioned that there could be unexpected early deaths 
you know, due to the things that people are, uh, you know, in, inserting into themselves. Just uh, y- your thoughts on, on uh, you know, the, the the vaccines. Look, you know, my kids were all vaccinated with the regular vaccines that you have. But the difference you have with, let's say, a measles vaccine or a polio vaccine or something that's been around, it had been around for a long time. There's not a single mandated vaccine here in California for our children in school that hadn't been around for a decade and a half out of an emergency status, fully on the market, tested upon millions of kids before it was mandated in schools. And here we are using a new type of injection, if you will. And uh, it had only been tested on humans since 2015. Someone made the claim, says, well, Justin, why are you so upset? You're you're a big advocate of monoclonal nucle- uh, antibodies. Well, we've been doing monoclonal antibodies since the 1980s, since AIDS. And so that has a huge track record of extreme safety and lots of uh, examples on how it can help people. But, for example, that was a terrible decision itself. The decision to use, for example, monoclonal antibodies only came, only came once the FDA, literally the day after the FDA had approved the full status of the first injection of COVID uh, of the COVID nineteen vax, and so this these become problematic. We have to look at these very seriously, and there are a number of side effects which I won't get into uh, because you're right the 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 curses are still we we can lambast masks all day long as far as I understand now on YouTube, but there are certain things that are off topic, so we have to be careful, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but th- th- do you foresee, because um, you, you allude to it in your book that, um, I mean, th- there could be in, in terms of, of, of deaths from these things, do you see, I mean, this causing you know, people to die early beca- because of these experimental things? There is still so much that's out there um, and it affects all ages. We just heard this last week, confirmed studies that traces of the virus or of the vaccine, it's unclear exactly how this works, are found in women's breast milk that are you know, newly gave birth. And uh, we have, if you go through the VAERS database, over 600 injuries to infants that are alleged from breastfeeding and their mothers being vaccinated. We have at least three deaths, and we have to go through and confirm those things. But there's some real uh, impacts there. We know that the primary real concern are with young men between the ages of 12 and 20, uh, or even up to 40 years old. Uh, It seems to affect them in a dramatic way. Uh, Issues with the heart, myocarditis, which is a a very serious condition. And and we're seeing, you know, there there was a a rate uh, of of myocarditis with uh, these vaccinations, which the CDC now admits and everything else there, that is far above the background noise of what would happen if you actually just contracted COVID yourself. And when we look at that range, right, the the general rule of thumb that we had in in an article from John Ioannidis, the most published living scientist, uh, he he indicated that the general rule of thumb is that if you're under the age of 65, your chances of succumbing to COVID are about the same as your chances of dying in your commute to work. And if you're over the age of 65, it's slightly higher. It's the same risk that a professional truck driver faces, definitely higher than your average commuter. But again, uh, the the panoply of uh, of of crazy uh, projections 
and and real scaremongering, fearmongering techniques was was very difficult to overcome for a lot of people. I know in my own case, I, I did not uh, get that particular injection, uh, and but there were times that I I definitely uh, thought to myself, "Wow, I um." I, I may get it. In fact, I'm a big musical theater guy. So I saw in New York that Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster were, were are, are on Broadway doing music band. And I almost got it just to go see that, but I didn't. So, uh, and, and I think in the end, we're going to find, um, if I'm being frank and honest, uh, the lawsuits that will come out in three years plus will put mesothelioma or asbestos to shame. They really will. Yeah. And, and you, you also touch on, um, you know the institutions lying and lying uh, and lying, and you know I, I feel like the CDC, FDA, the WHO, you know, almost need to be uh, dismantled. And and I think it was just today or yesterday, Stephen Colbert, uh, Fauci was on the Stephen Colbert show, uh, and they did a five minute like segment that was supposed to be funny. I didn't find any humor in it at all. They went down to the local Walgreens or whatever to get Fauci's uh, new, you know, latest booster shot. And so, what can you say about? Uh, the Fauci's, the Berks's who have lied, they seem to have diplomatic immunity as well as these uh, institutions. Well, uh, Rational Ground, the group that I founded was the the key group supporting Scott Atlas when he was at the White House. Uh, in fact, uh, here on Saturday this week here in San Diego, we're having a big conference. Uh, you can find details of that on, uh, on rationalground.com. Scott's going to be there and everything else. But I, I remember, you know, the absolute shock that he had being there at the White House and how disagreeable and how um, blind they were to any sort of study. So, you know, he would bring up these facts that, uh, you know, the oncologists were the first one to raise alarms in the spring of 2020. The cancer doctors, they'd come to us in droves. They say either COVID has cured cancer or something else is going on altogether because we're diagnosing half as many ailments as we typically would in March in April and May. Why was that? People were too scared to go to the hospital. When Dr. Atlas confronted, in his book, you can you can read about this, Dr. Atlas confronted uh, Dr. Fauci and asked him point blank and said, well, uh, don't you think people are scared enough? And Dr. Fauci replied, they're not even scared. They're not nearly scared enough, right? And, and this is the, the real crux of the issue is that uh, these are agoraphobes. These are epidemiologists, virologists, uh, and, and they picture themselves like Dustin Hoffman in that outbreak movie. But in real truth, they're like the EPA investigator doing Ghostbusters, right? The guy who, um, you know, in the mayor's office, they come to find has no, they, I won't go that line, but they, but they, you know, the, 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 the Walter Schmeck, I think his name was, and he goes down there and shuts the power grid off and causes all these problems. They, they never saw the problems that they caused. They will never admit it. Uh, it's hubris. And uh, when a lot of people would take to task Dr. Atlas and saying, well, he's not a virologist, he's not an epidemiologist, he's a radiologist. Yes, but the one thing he spent over the last two decades doing was the application of science to public policy, something that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks absolutely failed at. Uh, when you go and say, here's what the science says, that should be debatable, that should be questioned, that should be looked at very strongly. But then you really have to take a pause and say, what are the absolute indications of what policies should be implemented publicly? Um, you think about just the absolute distrust that our people have right now. Uh, and just take one instance, for example, Dr. Fauci and former director of the NIH, 
uh, director Collins, uh, they were the ones who ultimately made the decisions on grant monies, billions of dollars that the NIH would give out. Well, what are the chances of your study that might not fit the narrative that they want to tow getting approved if they hold the dollar strings? Uh, again, the, the purse string, this is, this is not unfounded, and we need to make sure that that um, line of direction is cut. Uh, we need to cut this the snake off of the head to rebuild it. At the start, you mentioned uh, the nasty authoritarians that arose during the Italian Black uh, Plague. And in your book, you mentioned there's nothing new under the sun, which I would uh, agree. And the thing that has alarmed me the most in all of this has been this techno tyranny that is unprecedented. You, you know, I think you mentioned in your book, we're still continuing to see these crazy China lockdowns. Uh, you mentioned American authoritarianism taking root. Uh, it feels like more or less that World War COVID is over, but there are still places that require masks and and, and vaccines. And is it over? Or do you, th you think we might see a World War COVID uh, too? Well, I think people have had their fill of uh, the tactics that have been used for the pandemic. But there's no reason that uh, these arrows will come, won't come out of the quiver again uh, for other tactics, whether it's climate change or food distribution or any sort of things that you have there. And you're right, you know, there in, in 17th century Milan, they had these groups called the Monati, which were basically exempt from any sort of supervision. You think about all the different hypocrisies we saw, whether it was Gavin Newsom at the French Laundry uh, or other politicians who were encouraging and pleading with their citizens to stay home from their vacation home in Cancun, right? This is nonsense stuff. And we, we see it again and again of these people that are basically um, saying one thing and hypocrites on the other end. And until we sort of get a handle on that thing, uh, it's going to come back and rear its head again, because um, even as the, the World Economic Forum uh, noted that this was uh, essentially a test run, I'm not saying they designed it that way, but they're definitely looking back on this and they're saying, Wow, look at all these people who basically uh, folded their tables very quickly and did exactly what we asked. That's what we're going to need. And so uh, I hope you guys have a palate for crickets and for uh, getting back to the Stone Age, because that might be what's on your plate and how you're going to get there. Uh, put on your sandals uh, and look at the, go back and look at Flintstone videos for uh, your modes of transportation. I just had a friend send me a photo yesterday, which I'll post on my Telegram channel he, they went to a rural part of mexico and they showed me their plate and it was filled with crickets and 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 worms and it's it's a traditional mexican mexican meal yeah, and yeah. i i get it eating it from time to time but i mean what you're referring to is these people literally want to replace meat permanently and have us eat insect um protein i mean i, I was at the local starbucks recently and now they're selling these not plant sausage biscuits and i'm like it's just a matter of time before you'll have no other option it's all going to be this fake uh stuff and um your appendix is as well in the book is well worth the price of admission it's got a whole bunch of fascinating stories even one letter to the mayor of boston where uh someone is comparing covidism to what happened during world war ii which is what what i've been doing for the past two years it was you know, they're talking about their parents and grandparents were fleeing uh tyranny and in europe and in that sense comparing what's been going on. Um, do you have any uh, final thoughts then uh, for us? Yeah, look, I, I think what the next steps we need to do are pandemic cleanup. Uh, when they unleashed the lockdowns, it unleashed the powers to 
3,200 local county health officials and 13,000 school districts and, of course, the 50 governors that could do as their whim. And what we need to do is go back and start implementing some stop gaps there. Um, in Florida, for example, Governor DeSantis implemented a, a host of legislation which would allow like a county supervisor to declare an emergency but would have to stop after seven days until they prove that it's necessary, right? Or whether it's um, you know, something simple like if my loved one is dying in the hospital, I- I'm going to be there hell or high water. And that should be basically a patient's bill of rights in there. It's it's a crazy scene that we're going to be dealing with as we deal with that, because we need to make sure that it's cleaned up and that uh, there's also a lot of comeuppance. We need to make sure that these people that uh, are, you know, that that perpetrated this are held accountable. And most importantly, that they never, ever, ever have an influence over public policy again. So that's the next phase of what we're doing. Are you going for? I mean, you you, you mentioned uh, the bugs and and Davos and and this going forward. Are you uh, optimistic uh, for the future, given everything that we've just gone through? I'm always an optimist, and so I I truly believe that. But uh, the one thing I think, you know, look, we're adults. When policies came and impacted our business and our our plow is out there, we can see it in the window, but we're locked inside. It's rusting in the field. You can't go. In- and work and everything else there. I mean, that was devastating. It was really tough. But then you came after my kids, and that's where I draw the line and say you're a bit evil. You know, there's a there's an old story that's passed down through rabbinic literature of the people of Noah's age, uh, the people who didn't make it on the boat, right, that God was kind of to wipe off there. At first, when the waters rose to their knees, the story goes, the 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 adults held their children to their waist. When the waters got to their waist, they put them on their chest. But when their waters got to their neck, they put their kids under their feet so they could stand and live a few minutes more. That's the kind of absolute awful rapport that we experience for our kids. They put them under our feet, and someone's going to have to pay the price for that. Because uh, if you don't uh, avenge the the wrongs that were done to your children, the next generation coming up will realize that you didn't stand up for me. So I hope parents, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't have a chance to really stick your neck out in the pandemic, and I, I can't blame you for not because it's really it was a fight. Uh, I hope you will do so now. That's kind of the message of what I want to leave people with. All right. And, uh, you know, what are the I'll have all the links in the description, but what are the best uh, websites, uh, projects and, and and so forth and, and, and any ways uh, to support the work you're doing? Sure. So the book comes out in about a week or so, uh, 10 days uh, on the 18th. You can pre-order right now, though. You can go to uh, goneviralbook.com. Goneviralbook.com will get you to the Amazon link to uh, to buy it there. Uh, but we have uh, rationalground.com, which is our main website where you can find all our information. And I'm on Twitter mostly, uh, Justin underscore Hart. You can find us there. All right. Yeah. And the Substack, covidreason.substack.com. Yes. Gone viral. How could uh, how how COVID drove the world insane? It's what people can see it in your background. And uh, thank you for coming on Geopolitics and Empire. So great to be with you, friend. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. 
and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms. Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.